I Love to Watch You Play.com podcast with Dr. Sam Mignard, our resident sports psychologist. Our mission to help you be the best sports parent or coach you can be. We do this by talking to top experts and newsmakers in youth sports and drilling down on the topics that are most important to the health, happiness, and success of you and your athlete. Our guest today, Allison Foley. Allison is the former Boston College head women's soccer coach, the winningest coach in BC history, youth national team scout, and celebrated author of two books, How to Coach Girls and the Elusive Full Ride Scholarship. And she did some graduate work in psychology of girls' sports. She currently helps high school athletes with the recruiting process, helping them find the right place if they want to play, the correct level, and all the steps involved to reach those goals. So in the first part of this interview, we get into the psychology of coaching girls and how there are many differences between boys and girls. And if we want to stop our girls from dropping out at up to six times the rate of boys, anyone coaching girls really needs to listen up. Because a lot of this, especially if you are male, is not intuitive, but it can make all the difference. Now the second part of the interview, we focus on playing in college or playing at that next level. And Allison has a ton of great info about what to do and what not to do. And questions like, what if the scout comes and I don't play? Or the most common mistakes parents make that can cost their child a chance at being recruited. Okay, so here we go. Here's our talk with Allison Foley. Well, to, you know, 20 years, you were the head coach at Boston College. There's been a lot of changes in women's soccer and in women's sports throughout that time. Can you talk about sort of the differences of, of where it was when you started to now? Yeah, you know, fortunately, Asia, I think the changes have been um, in the right direction, have really been positive. There's been certainly an increase um, um, in funding and equality in opportunity, whether it's... Um, travel to the men's program, whether it's basketball, women's ice hockey, men's ice hockey comparison, um, soccer, men's soccer, soccer. Um, budgets are um, a lot more comparable, opportunity and travel, and um, certainly our ability um, to go out and recruit. There's a lot more tournaments for females out there these days. Um, so it's, it's certainly trending in the right direction. What about any negatives? Have you seen, and we talk a lot about on I Love to Watch You Play, you know, kids getting overworked and over-specialization. And I know you're, you're no longer there, but you're still very involved because your main focus now is helping players get to that next level. Has there been a change in, a negative change per se, in seeing younger women break their bodies breaking down and then burning out earlier? I, I, I do see that, and that is probably the biggest negative. Um, and you and I are multi, multi-sport athletes, and most women in our generation were, and, and, and boys for that matter. And I do think there's a bigger concentration on specializing at a younger age. Um, more, there's this, this, this idea that more um, training in one specific sport will increase um, excellence. And, and actually, when you look at the studies, that's not, that's not true. Um, and you know, it, it, it's good to be a multi-sport athlete for a lot of reasons. The obvious, as you mentioned, overuse, which, um, is a direct correlation to, um, increased injury, um, boredom and boredom is one of the reasons why we see, um, kids dropping out. It's, it's fun to look forward to the next sport in the next season. And it's fun to look mm-hmm. forward to the next friend group and, um, a different set of coaches. It keeps things fresh. It keeps things um, exciting. And, um, you know, that, that certainly, you know, there's this idea that if I get, you know, a year round soccer program, and if I get a specialist in individual training and technical training, and if I get, um, a, a, you know, a strength and conditioning coach that, that specializes in my child's sport, they're going to be at the top of their game. And to this date, there hasn't been a scientific proof of that. So maybe it's old school thinking, but certainly I do think, um, the more exposure to different sports and to different coaches and different friend groups, positive. So, so Allison, we were going to talk about this later, but since you brought it up, I, I kind of wanted to, to ask you now. 
the the research is as you said very clear on the value of being a multi-sport athlete whether you're talking about emotional health and uh, psychological health whether you're talking about athletic ability uh, length of time in a sport athletic success success later in life we could go on and on and on right um, and so I think all of our listeners have pro probably understand the value of being a multi-sport athlete but as a parent uh, and I have two uh, a boy and a girl who play soccer um, it is very difficult for the to get the coaches on board with being uh, having a multi-sport athlete. And so what advice do you have for our parents or for the coaches that might be listening in terms of how do you make that happen? I mean, is, is it possible to really be a multi-sport athlete and still get a, get a opportunity to play in college? I think that there is. And um, I think there's some pressure. There's that sideline, parental pressure. You know, they hear that, well, my son or daughter is going to this particular specialist coach and you feel, and, and I'm a parent of, of a high school athlete too. And I've, I've heard it on the sidelines too. You feel almost as a parent that you're missing out. And as a coach, you feel that, you know, I need more dedication from, from my, from my athlete. I need them to prove that this means something important to them and they want to be the best they possibly can. Um, and I think we have to take a step away from that. And I think as a parent um, and a coach, we, we have to really buy into what you and I just said, Sam. There's no scientific proof that this increases their opportunities um, at the next level, that this um, develops them faster. And you know, the body is gonna go at its own pace. The body can't, can't be pushed physically um, to jump or go faster in their 40 until their body develops and to, to, in those muscle groups develop. And, um, you know, I think that if, if, if coaches and parents do take a, take a look a little bit deeper and see that there isn't any proof out there that maybe they'll make a better decision for their children. Allison, is there though a time period like my daughter, who's a sophomore and, you know, plays at a high level of soccer. Is there a time period she's trying to decide if she's going to play volleyball this year or not? And she has been in the past where you do recommend um, that maybe they need to focus just on the sport they're trying to play at the next level. Yeah. You know, I, I, I again, I believe in the, the theory, there can be a primary sport and a complement sport and the mm -hmm. complement sport, the secondary sport, does just that. It complements in a positive direction. It's yeah. working on different muscle groups. It's not, it's, it's not overusing the same muscles in your primary sport. And it's getting your mind in a, in a really clear space that when I go back to my primary sport, I'm 100%. My adrenaline's there, my interest's there, my ability to be coached again, and my, my thirst for the sport is there. Um, so, so I, I do think it's okay when you are playing a secondary sport and as that season changes that you do go, you know, basketball is your primary sport. You do go, you know, play some hoops with your friends and, and, and you stay in touch with the sport. It just doesn't have to be intense all year round. So, so uh, oh wait, uh, Sam, wait, I just want to follow up. I'm yeah, sorry. Go I, for it. I, no, no, no. On this, go one, for it. this one point, yeah. cause it's, I think it's important. A lot of parents are curious. Would you recommend then that they, like you're saying, pick up games that they stop playing? Because we we might be going through this now. Like they don't play their um, number one sport during that. They don't try to do both at the same time to a limited degree. They stop, do the I, other sport and come back. I think it's difficult to be in season in two yeah. sports. I think okay. it's super hard to be in season in your club sport and in season in your high school sport. But club and, sport never stops. That's well, the problem, well, right? <laughs> well, you know, but that's one of the things, you know, a lot of governing bodies have taken a look at. And, yeah. um, you know, the, in, and they are trying to give, you know, two, month, two months off in the summer, you know, a month off in whatever that out, out of season might be. So they are try, trying to put in um, highest level club sport breaks. And mm -hmm. for just this reason. Because they, you know, some administrators are getting the right message that we do as organizations need to build in an off season. And if we look at the professionals in every sport, in every sport, there's an off season. 
There's a time yeah. to recover. There's a time to detach emotionally. There's a mm -hmm. time to rest physically. And um, hey, you know, how many, how many basketball players do you see out on the golf course, right? On their, in their right. time. It's, it's right. great for a reason. And, and, you know, as intense as professional sports are, they give more of an off season and a break than we do our high school players. So, so to stick with this for for a second here, and and this is, uh, I, I just want to ask the, some of the hard questions here, and this is not nothing nothing towards you, Allison. This is more the the industry that we're mm -hmm. talking about here. But um, so, let, since we all, since Asia and I both have children who play soccer, and since you're a soccer expert, let's let's talk about soccer for a moment. Sure. So, at least in, where I live, the the fall is when the high school season occurs and then club picks up as soon as the high school season ends goes through winter goes through spring and yes i understand for the for example the girls academy has instituted a, a two-month mandatory break in the summer mm -hmm. but if you have a child who wants to play a second sport who is a soccer player if they play for their high school and and i won't get into whether they should or shouldn't play for their high school or not uh but so they play for their high school and then they play for their club club team the minute High school season ends. How could you possibly play another sport? Well, you know, and and again, I, and I said I, I I don't think it's ideal to be in season in two sports, but I think you do have to look at the intensity of a sport. So, for instance, give, giving back to the to the sport that Asia was referring to, could you play volleyball after school, and then make it to two club practices a week? That probably is a good balance because it does give you a break and it gives you the, you know, the, a, a time to focus in a different friend, friend group. It's different coaches, it's different muscle groups, but if it's balanced once or twice, you know, with practice, you could probably get away with doing it. Um, I, I think the bigger, bigger danger, Sam, than, than trying that balancing act is the elimination act, getting mm -hmm. away from that complement sport. Because usually the complement sport isn't as intense, right? And um, I know Asia's primary sport was basketball. My 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 complement sport was basketball. Um, it was just fun, and I did I did ODP. I was you know I traveled a couple of weeks you know in the winter for practices and whatnot for soccer, but you know I. I loved running around and some, you know, sometimes I didn't even know what direction I was going on the basketball court. I could, <laughs> I was quick so I could feel that that was about it. I missed every layup, every shot, you know, but it was, it was, and it's nice not to have to feel like you have to be the best on your confidence. Right. It, and it's humbling and it teaches you so many other, um, you know, really important qualities on, on how to be a role player, on how to be, um, you know, maybe coming off the bench and all these really good lessons that down the line, your compliments for, you know, help you. So would it really be a just, I think everything always goes back to communication, right? Like yeah. if you, if it's your compliments for, even if you're really good at it, but you are communicating with that coach ahead of the season that the, this is my plan. I'm still going to be going to my soccer practices I'd love to do this and really talking to both coaches and look, not every coach is going to be okay with that. Right. And then there might be a tough decision to be had, but if you really communicate, then it, it's, it should be doable. Right. As long it as, it yeah. It, and it's that communication point. I think too often parents or the kids are afraid to kind of even let either coach know, what their plan is because they don't want to be docked um, on either side. And if, right. if you know, a, a coach should have the best interest of the athlete, of the person at hand. And so it'd be hard for them to sit and have a discussion where you're saying, I need this break to play another sport. I really want the time. Can you work with me on it? I mean, I, I, I think only a few select few could really like, um, you know, deny or try to say, if you don't make my practices or if you're ever late, you're not going to play. I mean, I really do think coaches in general want the best and should want the best for these athletes. I agree. I agree. And I, and I, and I think, you know, you started off the question with a really good word communication 
and um, doing it early enough so the game plan is set. We Mm -hmm. we know what it looks like on both sides, on the coach's side and um, the student athlete side. And we've created the plan that works for for both sides. Um, I I do think, and and Sam alluded to it, that the former um, Development Academy, now Girls Academy, they had to catch on, right? They were losing players to the ECNL that had an off season. Right. And um, I think, I think in the last two years, a AAU basketball has figured it out. I think a lot of these other other sport other organizations of sports are starting to figure out we can't have our athlete year round because there's options. Whether it might be at a less competitive level of their own sport, which mm-hmm. might be, cool, or mm-hmm. if it's a different sport again i like to use that word, the compliment sport because i think the secondary sport is great um and, and has so many benefits so i do think there is a very recent trend to understanding um the value of society and sport mm-hmm. well that's great that's great to hear as you said a few minutes ago most of the changes have been positive right so uh, it's great to hear that that's continued i want to talk a little bit about this uh your book how to coach girls and um you know in particular you know what what pushed you what propelled you to write this book what what did you see as the problem that's out there in terms of coaching girls versus a one-size-fits-all approach yeah. So Sam, um, my, my co-author, um, Mia Wenjin, who was fantastic throughout the book um, and prior to leading up to it, she, she had said for two years, probably prior to, um, you've got to write a book. You have this, all this information. She would come down. She lived right down the road, you know, the street from me and she'd come down. Zoe has this issue with clicks on their team. Um, you know, uh, we, we don't think that our other daughter is going to make the top team. How do we, what do we do? What do we say? This, Parents on the sidelines saying the wrong thing. So, you know, I just from my experience offer, you know, what, what I could. And eventually she said, listen, we got to do this. We got to put this in a book. You have so much knowledge to help coaches and parents. And, I, and my reaction was, I'm not going to write a book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your spare time. <laughs> well, 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 just I didn't, I just didn't think that I, I, I should, All right, you know. But um, she talked me into it. It was a wonderful project. And I think, Sam, to ask you specifically the turning point, when she had said, Allison, 70% of middle school kids are quitting before they play high school. And girls at 6%, six, six, six times the rate as boys. I said, well, we've got a problem here. And if, if, if there is just a, something small that I can offer, you know, advice or whatever it could be, to, to stop that progression, it's time to write a book. <laughs> and we're glad you did. And, and so <laughs> if you're just joining, we have Allison Foley here with us today, who's the former head women's soccer coach at Boston College. And she has written two books, How to Coach Girls, as, as well as the other one, which we'll get to in a little bit, is the Elusive Full Ride Scholarship. So if you have questions, please, please put them in the chat. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from you guys out there. Anything you got, just put it up and we'll we'll get it to Allison and get some answers for you. Um, so, Allison, what is the number one difference between coaching girls and boys? Or what is the main when you when you start a talk or when you're starting to write the book? What's the first thing that came to your mind about the differences? Yeah, you know, really nothing on the field. I think between the lines, you run similar drills, you run similar exercises. Um, tactically, you communicate the same. Um, on the chalkboard at halftime, pregame, it looks very similar. It is similar. I think the biggest difference is the emotional side to it, and um, you know, in, in communication. And um, they they're both have their assets in terms of. Um, their strengths in, in, in their communication and how they want to be communicated to. And, you know, I think there's a couple of examples that I, I put in the, in the book, you know, you can say to, you know, on, on picture day, team picture day for the boys, Hey, all the big guys go in the back. All of them think they're the big guy. They are all, lining up. <laughs> you know, if you say, Hey, all the big, big girls line up, in the <laughs> you see all these heads go down. No, and, and, I've been um, that. No. You know, it's, 
choice of words. And, and um, it's, it's, you know, a lot of it is the media hype. What, what do we see? What do we see, you know, often um, modeling on the guy side? It's these big, you know, muscular six, four, you know, ripped guys. And, then, you know, and then they see it, you know, and, and, and we see a lot of media that's, that's really honoring, you know, smaller bodies that maybe a thinner and, and girls see that and guys see that. So we're a product of our social imaging for sure. Um, so we need to be aware of that as we coach and, um, even, even sometimes tone, you know, tone, um, means a lot more than messaging, you know, specifically, I think with females and how many times mm -hmm. have you seen a coach on the side, you gotta slow down. You gotta slow down. Take a look, take a look. Like that panic, like, how am I going to slow down when you're screaming at me with such panic in your, in your voice, you know? And, you know, we forget that processing, it comes in. And then as I translate and try to execute, that plays over friends, right? So um, just being aware of that, that, that second part of that goes with, with boys and girls. Um, but girls, as, as you've said, may internalize that different, right? Like, yes, yelling is not good for either one, really, it like causes them to use the wrong part of their brain and not really think. But the difference might be, as you mentioned a lot in your book, is how that is internalized to a female with the yelling and taking it personal. And they, they want to play so much for their coach, right, that that it takes it to maybe an extra level that the boys aren't taking it to. Yeah. And there's some girls that that can motivate, you know, that that like they can get pushed that way. The studies show that the majority do not. And um, <laughs> Guys, sometimes they'll play to spite their coaches. Girls play, <laughs> girls play to impress their coaches. In, in so interesting, in, yep. Um, you know, and that's just something that we have to understand. Again, the training can be the same. The tactical execution and game plans can all be the same. Our delivery needs to be slightly different. It, you know, girls are a bit more of social beings. Um, they all want to be well liked. You know, sometimes it's really hard, especially at that middle school age when there's a girl that's starting to perform a little bit higher. You know, she might bring herself down to be one of the pack. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to be the superstar or the guy. In general, these, these again, are generalizations, of course. Um, right. A boy, superstar at middle school, he'll take that ball. If he can get another hat trick the next day and then, you know, score 20 points, you know, be the leading scorer in the court, you know, be the quarterback every single game. Fantastic. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just um, differences that we have to be aware of. It's not, it's not a rule that's 100%, but majority of girls. Yeah, but playing those odds and, and how many coaches do you think really are, I mean, you're at the highest level, right? But we're talking about trying to keep girls in sports that those coaches need to be knowledgeable about those kinds of things at a very young age. How many, how do we get this message to them? How do we like sort of um, educate coaches? A lot of them are parents, you know, and, and sometimes, yeah. but at the club level, even, are they seeking this information? Is there training for them? Is it, how, how are we getting it to them? You know, I, I do think that we, we are starting to see a trend in, um, educating coaches a little bit more, um, not just not just field training or court training or ice training. We, we, there's a lot more um, emphasis that I've seen in different clubs on the psychological component. You know, as we mm -hmm. look at it, before, mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's the physical, there's the technical, there's the tactical, and then there's the psychological in all sport, right? And that quarter, the psychology um, has, has really been overlooked, I think, for decades. And now, I think, again, another positive trend in the last few years that we're understanding the power of that component. And listen, if it's not up here, forget about, you know, the body and everything else. If our mind isn't in, in place and prepared and, and psychologically just feeling really confident. So um, I, I do, you know, I, I think social media has really helped us in that capacity. Um, understanding you have hear mm -hmm. more professional athletes talk about their woes and their their issues such a good you know, point yeah you know un unconfident and having maybe a difficult coach you know in high school and maybe you know maybe thinking that they might quit the sport right michael jordan's one of the best examples right right and um 
but you know, I think the more we hear that um, professional athletes talk about it on how that affected them, coaches will start saying like, wow, that's, that's, that's an important message. I have to really make sure I'm, I'm, I'm studying um, the psychology of the athlete a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Allison, can you see, we have, we do have a question, James Conway. He says how much of the 70% and he's referring to the quitting comes mm -hmm. down to the rising costs of travel ball, AU burnout, simply lose it or simply lose interest. Some families just can't afford the expenses. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great point um, that James brings up. This particular study was done um, with athletes and, and the questions were more on um, their interests uh, and not mm -hmm. financial. And it wasn't, um, it was done with high school, middle school, um, middle school specifically in schools, mm -hmm. not in clubs. So finance mm -hmm. really would be a part of this particular study because it would have, you know, for the gotcha. most part, school activities um, are, are free. So this, the questions really were driven from um, other interests, their parents not deciding what they were doing anymore. Um, so they have a little bit more freedom to decide what they were doing after school. Um, mm -hmm. Where their social groups were going, their social groups maybe started finding, you know, parties or another interest or another hobby. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and so, so in this um, particular pool um, that that was drawn was not from, um, you know, an extensive club club system. And and even even if it were, we the other statistic you threw out was that the girls are quitting at six times the rate. So, Correct. so you know. I would hope that in 2021, we're willing to spend the same on our daughters and our sons. So, so, um, you know, even if, and, and look, the costs are going up and they are getting yeah, out of hand, but, sure. but, um, okay. So I loved hearing you talk about the mental or the psychological pillar as a sports psychologist, that's music to my ears. And thank <laughs> you for the, for the, for the, uh, the, the plug for sports psychology and, and psychological side. So I wanted to ask a question related to that. Um, you know, I, I I coach as well as being a sports psychologist, and you know, I, not not to the level you do. I only have my D license to coach soccer, but um, but I, I, if I'm being honest, I prefer coaching girls than the boys for a lot of reasons. Uh, you hear that a lot, yeah. I, I, it's it's just more fun, and and you can be you can be silly, and you know, you can just be loose and and so forth, and. And I, and I just feel like they appreciate their coach so much more because of some of those <laughs> dynamics that, that you talked about. But, um, but I tend to end up coaching boys because I'm hesitant that I, I, I feel like from a psychological, from a sociological standpoint, girls need to have female role models as their coaches. And so sometimes I'm hesitant. So I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are. Again, if all things are equal, right, if they, if they, if they have the same pedigree or the same same uh, track record or experience, is it more beneficial for a girl to have a female coach? Yeah, you know, Sam, I, 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 in an ideal world, there's a head coach and an assistant coach and one's male and one female, you know, because I think, I think both have different types of nurturing skills and different type of coaching strengths. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to say one is better than the other because I just don't think that's fair. I just think that I'd like to encourage more females to get into the coaching profession. Sure. And, you know, a couple of examples that I'll give, I had, I had, a, um, one of my players was a, um, from BC was a three-time All-American, went on to play college soccer on the national team, very talented player. And, and she said, you know, my daughter's now playing soccer and, and Dougie's coach and Dougie's co coaching her. Well, the, I go, well, Doug played ice hockey in college. She's like, well, I'm managing. I go, well, well why is that? Right. Well, I'm not going well, to coach. Again, why is that? Why? And, you know, and women don't feel that they can coach, and they can. And, that, and, that's, and that's, this is somebody that's played at the highest level. And, you know, and I think we're still kind of gender kind of role in that. Well, I'll be the manager, and the guy will coach. You know, my husband can do that or, you know, Another dad can do that. So, so um, you know, there's coaching apps out there now for females in, in, and to, to basically encourage them and instruct them daily 
on, on how to um, make training sessions and, and how to feel more confident. And, um, you know, coach me up. Uh, she can coach me up, I think is one of them. And, um, you know, I, I just think that I don't think it's better. I just think that it would be nice to have more women involved. Um, and, you know, I think in a college staff, I always say, you know, it's really nice to have a female coaches on staff. Um, there, there are issues that maybe, you know, a female can, can understand a little bit better. Um, and in the same token, you know, I think women can coach men, but there might be something that a, a male coach can, you know, one of my, one of my favorite clients, um, that I work with is a male client. I love working with them. I love training them. I love hearing about, you know, watching them play in his games. Um, but I'm sure that there's things that, you know, a male coach can bring out of them that I, that I couldn't. So, uh, you know, I just think that it'd be nice to see more women feel confident that they can get out there and coach. And, and that's the beauty of what you're talking about in your book. Uh, so, so some of that confidence that we're talking about with young girls can continue on into uh, adulthood, whether they're being a coach or whether they're an executive. You know, the research with executives is quite clear in that women will only again, we're talking in generalizations. And so I, I also have to give that caveat or continuum here. And, and, and certainly one size does not fit all, but, but it, generally speaking, women will not raise their hand for a promotion until they feel like they've had everything checked off the box. Whereas men are willing to throw their hat in the ring, whether they may only meet 50% of the qualifications. And so if we can do something to change young girls' confidence through sport, the, the impact could be lifelong. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're, you're right, Sam, there's been a lot of studies about women and, and executives and CEOs and how many of them played um, competitive athletics, maybe not necessarily in college, but certainly, at, you know, in, in club programs or, or in high school. And they're learning these great skills. They're learning how to, like, if they, if they get knocked down, how to stand back up, how to speak for themselves, how to lead in groups, how to persevere, um, how to put hard work in, in, into projects as well. And um, I, I think it's th th those are some of the great qualities that females certainly can gain um, through playing high school athletics. And, you know, in the book, Allison, I, I just want to point out too to everybody, I love you had some, it's some real practical help for someone who's coaching girls. And so for moms out there, like there's certain things, even just like dividing clicks and like you had like, you know, a clever way of, you know, if you're in a carpool or not in a carpool, you, this group goes together by books. If you read a book for pleasure today, like just some really um, by age line from oldest to youngest and by pets, if you have a cat, a dog and a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. And it was like also ways to make it fun. And I think, you know, over the years, you hear every, that's what everyone says, right? It has to be fun. It has to be fun. And I think a lot of times that kind of goes in one ear and right out the other ear, but it truly does have to be fun. That's the thing, right? And it, especially it for girls, like, and, and like, as we're saying, and we keep, you know, saying there, there are outliers and there are some girls and, you know, it doesn't mean they don't want to go hard or they don't, but, but having that time for the chat at the beginning, as you've mentioned, or like some of these fun, like on, on page 19 in your book, you talk about a lot of different ways to keep it fun. And, you know, it's just, it's critical when, and, and I think you even say in the last few minutes, you know, to make sure there's something fun at the end, what their takeaway when they go home and how they're feeling about it is not that you just had to do a one-on-one -on -one against everybody and, you know, most of those people are going to, half of them are going to be losers. Like you want to do something where they walk away and want to come back again. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I'll give you an example. I, I, I was working with my 13-year-old niece who's a soccer player yesterday on the field and picked her up. We, you know, trained for a little bit and then I'm driving her home. And right now it's like club soccer time. Like people are starting to think potentially about changing teams and stuff like that. And, we talked about maybe, um, you know, trying out for another team that, you know, what I understand is a higher level. But I said, so, 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 in, you know, she's somebody that's pretty, pretty competitive for her age group. And I said, mm -hmm. well, again, you know, what are some, you know, why do you think you might want to do this? And she said, 
her friend's name that's on that team. They went out two weeks ago and played laser tag. They do the most. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, maybe they, maybe they won more. They're, you know, <laughs> it was laser tag a couple of weeks ago. My team doesn't do that. So, yeah. you know, and this is someone that's going to be going to high school, but that, you know, it's, 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 it's that middle school age and, and as yeah. you know, competitive as she, you know, thinks she is, that was the first thing that came out of her mouth. And but you know, it's not just the middle. It's not just the middle school age. I don't know if you guys follow the national women's team, right? But they're constantly posting videos where they are doing fun drills and laughing and going at it. I mean, even at that level, you got to keep it fun. I think if you ask kids at BC, is it was it more important to you to be in the top twenty, or do you look more forward to the Easter egg hunt in the off season? <laughs> that was like the best day for them, the Easter egg hunt. They they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait for that. And and you know that's they're social beings and they want to have fun. Yeah. All right. Not shall we fun. move on to yeah. your other book, co co-written with Mia? Wenjin, and it's called the Elusive Full Ride Scholarship. Um, how realistic is it that a high school soccer player can play in college, Allison? You know, you know, the stats show, you know, very few high school players, you know, turn into, to, you know, college players. And that's a little bit disappointing when you see some of the numbers. However, I think those numbers are taken from studies of a lot of the Division I schools. And I think what we have to look at is there are Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, and in those different schools, there's different layers of programs. We always talk about the varsity, right? That the the, the the true you know teams that we all see. There's incredible club programs at these colleges, and you know where my office was at BC, I could look over the football stadium, and the club soccer team would practice underneath there. And I would be so distracted because I'd look at them. I'm like, they're so good. I, one of my best <laughs> I recruited one of my best goals. I love that. And, you know, they have coaches. They're talented. They travel to other colleges. And, and again, my, 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 my biggest, I think, want or desire for, for, for boys and girls, if you love the sport, when you go to college, find the venue to continue. And it might be on the club team. It might be on the intramural team. But you're going to compete. You're going to play the sport that you love. You're going to find friends. You're going to have coaches as mentors again. And you're going to have this community and this built-in family, sort of what you did, you know, through high school, middle school, and a lot of, for a lot of kids, their whole lives. For sure. That's great advice. And, and uh, you know, we've talked about your books today, and, and I want to plug them again because they, they are – I would call them handbooks. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you do a great job of, it's not science. I mean, there's, it's obviously founded in science, but, but it's not theoretical. It's very, it's very much how to, and, you know, Asia, Asia brought some of them up the, you know, the first 10 minutes of a practice, the end of a practice. And now that we're moving on to the, the, the scholarship. So, so big money business is helping uh, student athletes in high school get into a college program of any level. And, and I agree with you, we need to widen our, our view of what we we're talking about here. So D1 through three, NAIA, club sports, et cetera. You know, there are recruiting services, there's video services, there's, um, you know, all sorts of technology that's out there. Um, are any of them worth it? And if so, you know, I, I certainly don't need you need to plug you know any, any uh, thing in particular but but um you know help our parents understand what should they do and what should well, they do. well fully athletic advising is worth <laughs> yeah, it we can we can plug that one but <laughs> <laughs> i was specifically meeting other 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 services <laughs> yeah you know I, you know the, the, the book does does talk about and break down those those different um parts of how to get get exposure and the idea of recruiting is increasing your exposure to these to, to the coaches right and certainly um you know we talk about hooks and i think a really good highlight tape is a really good hook um, i can certainly say that um, as a college coach i'd watch a highlight tape and i'd say there's something about her 
And what it would really do, and then maybe I'd, you know, request a game tape and say, okay, tactically, I can see a little bit more than just, you know, the goal or the incredible header or the, you know, blazing 10 second run. Um, I'd then, I'd then be curious to watch, you know, half of a game tape, but still, you know, the live evaluation would still almost always have to happen. Um, I'd say, especially in division one. So, so the videos are an incredible resource on how to hook the coach and, and, and pique their interest to, to want to know more about you and see you play more. Um, you know, knowing what to include in, in your resume, what are the things that college coaches are really looking for? Um, knowing, knowing where to be and when to be at places, what, you know, there's so many ID and showcases right now. And, um, some some are more credible than others and um you know you might have to research a little bit more you might have to ask around you might have to ask others that have attended these showcases in the past what what were the coaching coaches participation were they really there um and you know i think at the end of the day when when you talk about these different avenues of of getting exposure um you know going to colleges and going to their particular id id clinics there's always value in, in, in just about everything. You certainly do have to do some homework to find out which opportunities give you the best value. Okay, so so there's a lot of things and, and it's really doing your homework to figure out which showcase to go to, which ID camp to go to, but but those are two things you mentioned that, that are certainly helpful. Yep. Uh, because the live evaluation is really what it's all about. What, what if you, oh, I'm sorry. Um, what if you are that diamond in the rough, so to speak, or, you know, you, you don't play for a big club, but you believe you have the talent or, um, so your club isn't going to a showcase, um, other than going to an ID, uh, clinic for, for a college that you're interested in, what are some other opportunities to kind of get noticed? Yeah. You know, I think a part of it is it, it's very helpful if you have the right resources and references um, supporting you. So it may be somebody that um, maybe it's not your, your particular club coach, but it might be a college coach in the area whose son might have been on your team and high school team, and, and they might make a phone call for you and say, wow, you know, so-and-so isn't on the highest level club team or this or that but he's got something special about it. There's this, you know, you gotta, you gotta get out there and see him play. And so lots of times it's credible references. Um, other times it is just showing up on their campus at their ID clinic and putting yourself in the mix of other players that were on higher club teams and um, were being recruited earlier and just having a good performance. Um, you know, these other showcases that, that have players from all over you put, you know, you might not be on that club team, but they are on the highest level club team. So you have an opportunity, to, you know, to prove that you're better than them. So um, credible references are, are really helpful. Going to these ID clinics where there are players that maybe have um, opportunities to play on, you know, different leagues or higher leagues is, is a great way to, to, to get the exposure. Allison, what, what kind of, what should parents expect their club coaches to do or not do? And and is there an expectation for them? Yeah, you know, I think that um, Asia, each club program is a little bit different. Some clubs um, are starting to have a full-time college coordinator. So they don't do any of the on the field or on the court or ice um, training. They specifically, their full-time job mm -hmm. is to communicate and guide and assist through the recruiting process process for the prospective student athletes. So there would be a very high and in, in, in with that might, you know, come an increase in your club club. Costs. Right. It's a good, but it's a good selling point too. You might get more people. Yeah. And in what you need to think of you, what you need to ask is what specifically do they offer? If I'm going into a club that has a full-time college coordinator, what is this recruiting coordinator offering me? Is he or she helping me with my college resume? Are they helping me devise a highlight tape, whether it's to figure out, you know, what, what is it that the college coach is looking for on that highlight tape? Are they communicating directly to the coaches about my, my performance? Are they helping me write letters? Are they telling me what to do in the off season versus the in, you know, being in season? So, so there, you can certainly have a higher expectation if you have a full-time 
um, recruiting, you know, coordinator in, in your, in your club. I think a lot of club coaches, um, especially if they, if they're part-time and they have a full-time job, have less time to assist in that process and might not have the connections, you know, <laughs> to, to assist in that process. And a lot of this, a lot of this is, is, is having the right connection. And certainly, you know, for me, and I've been in the game, if I'm going to call one of, you know, my colleagues, you know, that, that I have a relationship, I can't support a player that I don't think is going to do well for them and, and vice versa. Yes. Cause uh, it's your reputation. Then that's the last time you can make a call. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be good for either side. Um, so, so, but there are a lot of club coaches that have uh, previous college backgrounds. So they do have those connections. Um, so I do think you can expect them to help in that process. So listening to you, my, my parental anxiety is, is increasing and I'm sure some people listening are like, Oh my goodness. Like, how do I make, how do I even make a highlight tape? And Oh my goodness. Like we don't have the technology and so forth. So I want to go back to some practical, which again is I think the strength of, of your book in addition to your expertise and, and, and your experience. But um, so what are some what are some do's and don'ts, um, you know, that for somebody who wants to aspires to play in college? I mean, what are some mistakes that you've seen um, and what are some things that people have done or you advise people to do that really helps them stand out? Yeah, you know, the first and foremost, Sam, I would say be really open minded about the process. I think, um, you know, everybody in eighth grade has some dream schools. Um, be ready for that to ebb and flow and be ready for those schools to to that list to change. And, you know, there's 333 just in Division One alone schools. And, and most kids know 10 schools that they want to go to. So UNC. Feel, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think um, if you're open-minded to, to hear other suggestions and, and from your coaches and from um, and then that you might get contacted from. Do a little bit more research about those schools. See, see um, if that could be a school you, you'd want to go visit. And um, so that, that would be first and foremost, one of the, one of the you know, things that I would say to make sure um, you're ready to be open-minded. I would say for, to the parents, assist the process, don't drive the process. Um, your kids, your kids are, are so talented and so driven. And Sam, you alluded to like the getting a little anxiety over a highlight tape. I bet your kids could do it. You know, yeah. I, I, that's probably. true. I, that's I, true. It, you know, I and, and and I can't, but my daughter can. And, right. and yeah, your, and your children probably can too. They know iMovie and and sound yes, effects, they do. And highlights, and how to circle themselves. You know, in their it's state, true. They can do this. So there there are great companies out there. But I would say go first with your child, you know, have your child ask their coach, what do you think my best attributes as a player are? Specifically in my position, what functions should I be trying to highlight? What does a college coach want to see me be able to do in my position? Let them do that research, get that, that information, and then let them have a few, few game tapes that they know that they've had good games in. And, and they can cut tape and they can make it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be. It just needs to show these specific moments. And some of the best highlights I've seen are the ones that kids have done of themselves. Mm. Um, but, Allison, what about like in these club teams, so many times on the top level, there's so many talented players and the coaches are riding ebbs and flows or of what and whatever. And, and you want, you're at a, a tournament and you invite a coach and you don't start or you only get a limited amount of playing time. Is that going to be an issue? Like how, how do coaches um, judge that? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. You know, first and foremost, lots of times a coach goes to a section of the game, right? Especially if it's right. a tournament and there's, you know, 40 courts, right? Or 40 fields. Um, a coach will likely go see you for a half. So, mm -hmm. If it's the second half and you happen to start the second half, great. Or if you play the last 20 minutes or 25 minutes of that half, they'll be able to say to, to figure out if that if you have some skills and some attributes that they're that you know that they want to see more of or that they might just say, like, wow, I actually do do think he can play for me right away. 
Um, so they, they rarely watch a whole game in these bigger tournaments. So I don't think that, you know, we have to get caught up in, you know, was it a 90 minutes? Did they start? And mm -hmm. lots of times coaches in these events aren't going to start their best players because they need it. You know, they, they've, they've got to keep the quality, you know, through the entire game. So um, I don't, I don't think college coaches are, are, are looking at that specifically. Um, the, the tough thing is if you don't get in it at all in a half in the coach game, that's, yeah, that's nothing other than a total, that's a total bummer, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, some positions, for instance, like a goalkeeper might know ahead of time, if there's two goalies, they're going to get the second half so they can write that in their letter that they yeah. get in the second half. That's very helpful. Um, but you know, I, I think you, you do the most, you do, do the most of the time that you get. If it's 15, 20 minutes, you do the best you possibly can in that segment of time. Mm -hmm. So when should a, a, a middle school or high school, like at what grade or what age should uh, should a student athlete begin the process? And I'm talking very broadly, obviously. Right. But right. I, I think it's good for a ninth grader to understand the process. I don't think they have to full fudge get into the process, but they need to know that eventually there's things that they're going to have to have to do. Um, they're going to have to develop a player and academic resume. They should know what to include in that resume. Um, they should know some of the rules and, and expectations. They should understand that there's this governing body for Division One and Division Two called the Clearinghouse, and there's a um, certain amount of classes they're going to have to take through high school. Um, preparation for SATs. Their ACTs, you can start kind of prepping a little bit, I think, as early as ninth grade. Um, they should they should understand and do some research on different schools that they're thinking about at that at that time. And connect to social media. Why not? If there's there's you know 10 to 15 schools you're interested in, right now we can learn so much by following um, different athletic programs, college athletic programs online. You find out what they're doing for community service. You you know their deep their team GPAs announced. You find out what they're doing for fun. You, you, there's training sessions that are you know parts of training sessions that are online. Parts of what they're doing in strength and conditioning that's online. Their dining services are online. You know on, on social media. So I would really encourage ninth graders to start getting into the athletic um, social media websites, and, and they know how to do that. Pro they're probably already on it. Right. To be honest. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But parents can do it too. It's good for you to know, you know, what these programs look like. Coaches get interviewed all the time and players get interviewed all the time. And, and you can look at that, that student athlete and be like, wow, I'd love my son or daughter to, to be in a community like that in an environment like that. And that's important to me that there's good people in, in this, in this program. So um, that's one thing they can start doing now. And, and really, I don't think it starts really getting too in depth until 10th grade, getting into these, you know, or prior, prior to 10th grade, getting into these ID clinics, getting into these showcases. That's when, if you're going to play at a pretty high level, that's when you really want to start thinking about it. You know, Allison, all things equal, you have two players who are of equal skill. What are sort of the red flags or the things that you really look for um, beyond what, what, how they're playing? You know, I think there's still this myth that if I'm this great player, my grades don't matter. And especially at the more academic schools, that's not true. You want to help yourself out. You want to get the academic edge. So if there's two people that are playing at a pretty, pretty equal playing ability, separate yourself academically. Think about your on the field behavior or off the field behavior. Um, how are you engaging in these tournaments with, with your coach at halftime? Are you still over by the water bottle or are you fully engaged in what the halftime communication is? How did you warm up? Are you sort of over on the sidelines still talking and, and, and not focused? Or are you are you really getting yourself prepared um, for the match? And, and post-game, what do you do if you win or you lose? What's your behavior? We've all, as college coaches, seen, you know, seen the athlete, you know, kick the water bottle one too many times and say, I'm not too sure about that. They're pretty good, but the other player is just as good, and they've got their arm around their player after a loss. So, you know, those those things, when, when you go to a college program, you become part of a family, 
and the coach becomes your parent. And there's a level of responsibility that that coach has, um, you know, with you as a member of, of, of their team. And those things can be separated. For sure. Yeah, Sam, I know you have another question, but before you get to your question, I just wanted to comment too. We had posted something a while back about a mom who's had a kid who was getting recruited and the college coach said something about they're watching the parents too. So if you're screaming from the bleachers, they don't want that screaming behind their heads for the for four years either. So it's not just the behavior, right, of the, the athletes. It's also the be aware of your own behavior as parents. Yeah, that, and that's, and that goes, you know, and that's one of the things I said, let your, let your athlete, you know, really lead their recruiting process and you assist it. You know, there's been times that I've had an unofficial visit um, as sophomores, a player and a parent in my office. And I'd ask them, so, so tell me, you know, what's your favorite position? I've, I've noticed that you play, you know, center mid and outside back. What, what do you prefer? And then the parent says, well, the preference is right back because he can make runs, you know, she can make runs <laughs> up the field, and she's really good at overlapping. And you know, and 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 I just look like, I don't know about this or yeah. You know, what's your favorite subject? Well, she's got a really good science mind. You know, she does like you know, <laughs> there's an interest in the liberal arts. I know this is a liberal arts school, but she's really good. At and 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 you go on and be like, oh, how many phone calls am I going to get from this parent when I don't right, right. as much as they want them on the field, right? right? So, you know, that's a very good point, Asia. The, that's a very good point. So, so that was actually going to be my question. Uh, oh, I'm what, sorry, I, Sam. No, 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 it's, it's okay. It's all good. It's all We're good. all on the same uh, wave. Yeah, right? we yeah. are. We're on the same page. Okay, so but, but I, I want to kind of elaborate a little bit on it. So. So you're coming to watch, uh, you know, uh, a prospective uh, college, college uh, athlete at a showcase, um, and the parent is very vocal. The parent is yelling at the refs. The parent, um, and, and conversely, maybe their child in turn is yelling at teammates, pointing the finger, um, arguing with the referee as well. Um, you know, w what does that do in your evaluation? I'm sure you've seen that. So you know, it could be. Let's say they're a star. You know, they're a dynamic. They're they're a great player. They they shine on the field, but then you've got this very argumentative, vocal parent, and potentially the the kid is as well. What do you do with that information? Yeah, I think one. You know, listen, we all can have a one off, right? We can all have a bad day when we're outside of our character. So that's another reason why college coaches want to see, um, you know players that they're heavily recruiting multiple times, right? You know, you can have a one-off on the field, you can have a one-off off the field. So is this a rep repetitive tendency? You know, is this something that behavior that continues? And then often they're going to call the club coach. They're going to call the club coach and say, listen. Yeah, get their care. So, so-and-so, but I've gone to two of your games now in this one particular tournament and the mom was a nightmare. Or I felt, you know, so-and-so, your player was just like not engaged at, during your halftime talk and sort of, you know, not engaged with the rest of rest of her teammates. Tell me a little bit more about her. Tell me a little bit more how you feel she fits into the team. And um, club coaches have a reputation. You know, they all want their players certainly to go play, you know, in college, but they also have to make sure that they're telling you know, the truth, because if they want future players recruited, right. you know, they can make or break that, yeah. that that trust pretty early with one bad evaluation or one bad, um, you know, statement about how the behavior of that player truly is. So um, coaches are going to do their homework. They're going to ask, they're going to ask other club coaches that they know that have played against, played against that, that athlete that they're recruiting to see what they've noticed. Um, and, and you know it's it's nobody wants to play to transfer, so they're going to do college coaches are going to do their homework and they're going to investigate and they're going to ask questions from the club coach, from um, opponents, um, and then they're going to really, if they do make it to one of their ID clinics, have their own players check them out, you know, and say, mm -hmm. you know, what did you think? You know, when you guys were sitting down in the cafeteria during break, what was your take on on our personality? So. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're 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 recruiting the, the whole person, you know, in, in college athletics and their family. <laughs> and their family. <laughs> right. Well, Allison, I think we've probably just 
about done enough, taken enough of your time, but really I think parents will gain so much value from your books and from listening to this chat. I mean, you're amazing. The Elusive Full Ride Scholarship, How to Coach Girls. You can see all my little notes. And <laughs> I, I like that. I was ask you what chapters were noted there mom a lot of them there's so much valuable information and and really it's just so great i think i think everything we talked about today is super helpful and i, I hope everyone got a lot out of it and i and i want to put up your information allison she does run foley athletic advising um and so she does help other athletes get into college you said you work with um men and women right girls and boys um Hello at FullyAthleticAdvising.com. FullyAthleticAdvising.com is the website. That's the email. Um, and at FullyAthleticAdvising, you have Instagram and Facebook, right? Yes, correct. Yep. Is, is, is there anything you want to add or talk about or promote that you have coming up or something we didn't touch on before we close it out? No, this was great. You know, I... I I love talking about this topic in um, you know, college athletics, high school sport, middle school sport. I, I just love it. I'm passionate about it. I just want to keep kids playing. And um, Asia and Sam, thanks so much for including me today. Thank you thanks so much. Here. All right, Allison, we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Sounds great. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye, guys.